It's Tech Tuesdays with Newstalk 1010 tech expert, Carmi Levy. Good morning. Good morning, Jerry. Great to be here. You talk tech stuff all the time, but you're not just a lost in tech geek. Your photography online shows you have quite an artistic side. So any Thank thoughts you. on Gordon Lightfoot? Yeah. I, I, first of all, my, my Instagram post today will be about him. Uh, you know, what strikes me is he was Canada's storyteller. And if you think back to, like, I think back to my life, like the the, the major milestones of life were often connected to a song. Mine was The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. That was really the first story. I was a kid then. It was the first story that I really ever became aware of that was a news story that sparked my interest in news. And suddenly he was writing this stunning tune about it that literally told the story. And the, the two of them just kind of fused in my mind and sort of became this moment in history for me uh, that literally, I mean, pointed me toward media. So, like... You know, Gordon, wherever you are, thank you for pointing me there. And thank you for telling the stories that mattered most to Canada. And I think that's what we hold on to now that he's gone. I'm saddened, of course, like all Canadians, but also just incredibly grateful that we had him at all. Yeah. Um, songs often aren't as direct and on the nose is the term they use on issues as record the Edmund Fitzgerald. The other one was the Canadian Railroad Trilogy. But when he did it, he did it well. And uh, the, the Canadian Railroad Trilogy is an amazing piece of music. It certainly is, and I think you know when you when you closed your your eyes and you listened to him sing, he isn't. He I always felt he was such a poet and such yeah. a you know more so than than most. And it was just the the way he you could strip away the music and just read the lyrics and then hold on to those. There was something just resonant about his work that frankly influenced my work as a writer. Uh, and obviously, I'm never going to be on his level. Uh, you know, no Canadian ever will be. But, you know, just uh, just having had him, I think we were the better for it. Let's talk some tech stuff here, Carmi Levy. Um, you just mentioned it'll be on my Instagram post. Well, social media is scattering your brain, apparently. Yeah, this is uh, interesting. So there's this study uh, that comes to us uh, out of the U.S. And what they did was they, um, they so uh, he's a he's a professor in uh, the University of Tennessee named Matthew Pittman. What they did was they took a couple of groups or three groups, a control group and then two other groups who they sort of gave tasks and then told them, go look at an ad after they've done these tasks to sort of see how much they remember and how they responded. And the more, you know, the, the the group that they require to read a bunch of Instagram posts and then do a bunch of things with their social media feed, they were the ones that when they were asked to say, hey, what that ad looked like, they were frazzled, disconnected, uh, you know, completely unable to relate what happened. They were confused as compared to the control group who were easily able to say, well, this is what the ad said. Uh, and in many cases, they said, it was too confusing for them to even process uh, too many words, too many options in the picture. And the conclusion is, the more you're exposed to social media, the more confused and disconnected, discombobulated you get. And they're suggesting that we start thinking about, well, can we really multitask? No. And thanks to social media, we now have the scientific proof. A lot of people think they can multitask. I think you can, <laughs> I think you can multitask if one of the tasks is almost inconsequential. Many years ago, I was doing radio in Knoxville, Tennessee, and a huge figure there was Pat Summit. She was the coach of the women's college basketball team. She was on the front cover of Sports Illustrated. She has more wins than any basketball coach, male or female, in history. She was quite a person. And she came in, she had a book out, and she was coming in to 
to be on the show. And uh, while she was doing the interview, she was signing the books so that she had signed books ahead of time. But sitting there right, putting, putting your signature down on books a person was handing her, um, that didn't distract her. That's that that you can do. It's interesting because the research bears that out. They, they call this cognitive overload. And they say the only people in this group who were immune to it were those who were already expert at whatever, you know, whatever task there was. So when they tested experts in a particular area, they were able to do it almost automatically. They had this kind of supernatural ability, but that doesn't apply. I'm not an award-winning basketball coach. I've certainly never won any championships and I'm certainly not going to perform at that level. Um, you know, that, that's definitely not me. Interestingly, I do want to and the, the word uh, multitasking, it really needs to be task division. There is a pie. When we do more things at the same time, we're simply slicing that pie thinner. The concept of multitasking is an absolute joke, and we really need to ban it. I'm talking to you people who are using your smartphones at the wheel. Okay, but now this next story is creepy, okay? We could unlock our phones with a thought. Yeah, this is uh, so. This is research that comes to us from a. She's a law professor at Duke University, Nietzsche Farini, and she wrote a book called "From the Battle for Your Brain." Uh, and basically, she's she talks about uh, these. For example, you can buy earbuds now. They're from a company called Nexense. They're biosensing EEG EEG earbuds, and what they do is they they scan your brain in electroencephalograph, and they call them neural interface devices. So instead of communicating with computing devices using keyboards and mice. Uh, you just hook these things up to your head, wear them in your ears or even on your eyeglasses, some wearable device, 24 hours a day. Uh, and they can read your brain. And recent uh, research in neuroscience shows that you have a unique signature to your brain activity. And so by scanning your brain, they've had They've done studies where literally 98% accuracy, they can tell that it's you who has thought something. It's almost like a digital signature. It's like biometrics to the next level. And unlike your fingerprint, unlike facial recognition, a lot harder to spoof this, which is kind of frightening because it certainly opens the door to, you thought 1984 George Orwell was frightening. Now the government can literally, and assuming someone gets a hold of this technology, they can use this technology to literally scan your thoughts and then, you know, maybe like in China, China's investing in this, stop people from traveling, arrest people because they thought of doing something. Um, it's a Pandora's box. And frankly, this is keeping me awake at night. On the other hand, maybe there finally is a way to knock some sense into some people. <laughs> well, they're, they're, it's only one way, Jerry. So they can only scan what you're thinking. They can't change your thoughts just yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, who, but who knows? Maybe that's the next generation. Yeah, I'm sure somebody's working on it. So uh, <laughs> you do a lot of writing. How do you feel about a Hollywood writer's strike? Um, you know what? Uh, it, it saddens me. Um, because, you know, again, we don't think about writers when we're watching television, when we're watching a movie. Um, but when this shuts down, we realize that an entire industry literally runs on the creativity of these individuals. You quieten them down. It certainly opens the door up to, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, literally a, a dying industry. And it, and it certainly it gives people a little bit of more ammunition to think, hey, if the writers aren't working and they're on strike, should we be using AI to replace them? Lord knows I don't want to live in a world where I'm watching movies written by AI, so please let's not go there. Well, do we have, like, the people who have risen to the level of being able to host something like The Tonight Show? These are people who should be able to generate material. They won't be there. Is it because they can't generate enough material on a daily basis, which might be understandable? Or is it just they'll be honoring the strike? 
Well, I think uh, I think nobody wants to cross the you know the picket lines, whether they're real or virtual. Um, and 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 I think we're probably going to see that. We've seen that in the past with with writer strikes, where uh, individuals who weren't part of the union um, in concert with other writers. It's a you know pretty strong global community, um, and they would not be submitting work uh, in support of them. Um, and quite frankly, it's sad because you know as a writer myself. I'm always writing. I'm always creating. Even when I'm walking the dog, my brain is yeah. churning. So it's, it's sort of hard to kind of wake up in the morning and go, oh, today we're on strike. We're not going to be writing. I can guarantee you that even, um, you know, if this occurs, uh, they will still be creating on their own time uh, because it isn't just a job. It's a calling. Sure, they'll just put the stuff on the shelf and pull it out when they go back to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Carmi Levy, thanks very much. Appreciate it, Jerry. Thanks. This is News Talk 1010.